drink and talk to people. Yeah, basically. With no plan in mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you, do you have your, like, are you where you have your animals? Like, can you throw uh, stuff up? No, but I, I did bring down a couple things because I did see that you guys, yeah. Yeah, I'd usually like to have some animals. Yeah. Uh, nothing crazy, better, but I took what I could. Yeah, well, some is better than none. We're live now? Yeah, we're live. Oh, so we are live. Hey, everybody. We got, we got one person. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, warms up a little bit. And because usually we're 10 minutes late, so. So you're on I think time. people just figured out they'll wait the 10 minutes and then start. But thanks for making time, Joe. We appreciate it. No, of course. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, absolutely, man. So here's a maybe little known fact or maybe well-known fact. I have no idea. But your podcast was the very first thing we ever did after filming the show that had to do with the show and wasn't directly like something some people we know or, you know. Really? Bubble. Yeah, absolutely. So did it, Animal Planet didn't make you do like there some you type of Yeah, you were in the first podcast we had like somebody had reached. Oh, shit. Oh, he's like, click. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> we lost wow, you there for yeah. a second. Really? Yeah. Yeah, no, you were the first one to reach out like yeah. once. Because uh, I think you had filmed or did your YouTube video. It had aired already, right? Yeah, I mean, by the time you were on the podcast, the show had already gone through most of the first season, I believe. Not a good start. Hello? Are we back? I think so. I believe so. There we go. <clears throat> we were on the wrong uh, Wi-Fi. The uh, sled dog hadn't been fed. Canadian <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi uh, hamster had... Uh, we can fit maple syrup around low. Unfortunately, has now been fed to a snake. Yeah. And my, Michael said, we still see you, Joe, but Greg and Chris are frozen. And I was just I was just sitting here like an idiot. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it wasn't just me. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't just you. So, yeah. So, as we were saying, you were actually the first podcast, any kind of outside interviewee type stuff that we had done with the show, about the show, after we started filming. It was pretty quick. Right after, I think it was yeah. either just aired or was about to air. Yeah, I don't remember when it would yeah. have been, but we would have, we aired in August, and I feel like it was September or October. Yeah, yeah, that's that right. You would have reached out to. So it had yeah. But not time. Yeah. Yeah, I know we, yeah. we you were probably not even halfway through the first season airing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. since we've talked to you, how have things uh, been going? Uh, obviously, you don't have trade shows to be selling animals at, but what what are you up to these days? Yeah, so I mean, it's very different not going to reptile shows at least like a couple times a month and traveling and talking and meeting everyone and putting corn snakes in people's hands. But uh, but it's been I don't know in the U.S. here it's been really really great as far as selling animals online. I think everyone's really adjusted and uh, as far as the people buying, more and more people I feel are buying online than ever before. And I think it really works out as long as you're you know prepared for everything. But Right now is also the bulk of the hatching season. So that's yeah. kind of where I am now, kind of drowning in babies and trying to. <laughs> it's that terrible transition period when you need to split up everyone and start labeling uh, all the snakes and giving them ID numbers and all the stuff. That's kind of a pain in the ass when you got to do it 200 times. 
So you do a lot of record keeping with your snakes. Do you keep, I know, that you, you know back in the day, guys just keep a lot of uh, little cards, index, write, cards. index cards, writing every feeding, every shed, all that stuff. I'm terrible for not doing that. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you kind of, uh, it seems like you lose some of that. But I, I tried to do as much as possible, especially with putting everything in a spreadsheet so that people know that, you know, what where their baby came from, what the parents are, um, yeah. what that pairing was, when it was paired up, when she laid, um, when it hatched, stuff like that. I, I try my best to keep up with that. And then yeah. for the for the babies, it's index cards or a piece of masking tape. And yeah, every time they feed, and uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, feeding is the most important to me. And then it'll also have their, yeah. their birth date and the genetics involved. But yeah, so, so it's simple, know, but it's enough, enough information. Yeah. yeah, Everybody's got different stuff they do. There's some apps and stuff people will follow. And uh, for me, I mean, I'll, I'll track the, the hatch dates, all that stuff. And that's really, the, the, for me, it's the most important thing. And all the other stuff's great information to have. And the lineage, obviously, the animals. They know I know my animals that I've gotten where I've gotten them from, all that stuff. I know that stuff. I've got records kept in computers. I can dig it up if I need to. But yeah, as far as the actual, I used to stick little index cards to every bin and keep track of every feeding. And now I just keep track of if if they fed, I mark it off. If they haven't, I mark it off. But it's not quite to the same level. It's just, it's too much work for stuff that isn't really super important. Once they're eating, regularly eating up to speed, and once I get four or five meals at least, and they're regularly eating, then I can think about selling them. I don't even think about it until that point. So, yeah, generally, generally, I do three three frozen thawed meals in a row. If they take three off the bat, then I'll put it online, and by the time it ships out, we're probably looking at five frozen thawed meals in a row. Um, yeah. If an animal skips a meal in between there, I'll definitely keep it for longer. So, say, uh, yeah. you know it takes a meal it's off of it then i want to see it go like five consecutive times after that yeah same here if anything skips me any meals i just put them aside and they're in i've got a separate area for the ones that are off feeding and then once i get back in the in the scheme of things so do you so do what got you into reptiles um in general reptiles i mean my my dad had snakes uh grow all growing up and stuff like that and we were always outside and there's always garter snakes around and yeah, I used to go to the White Plains Reptile Show, which is a it's a big show here if you're on the east coast of the United States. It was, I mean, really one of the earliest shows that there were. And we used to go there all the time. I mean, I was probably, you know, just eight years old or so. So, um, you know, wasn't wasn't completely into it until, say, I was 21 or so when I was in college. And and uh, yeah, that's when I started breeding ball pythons. And now I've been breeding snakes for about seven years. So I've heard of the white, white Plains. Is it? Um, I have heard of it before. Um, Reptile Basics. I know they're always there, and that's one of our suppliers. Um, oh, there's a it dropped it. <laughs> yeah. Not the first time we've had that happen. <laughs> usually on this end. Yeah, usually yeah. it's on this end, and somebody's. Uh, holding one of us and drops us and not yeah. the phone. <laughs> somebody's bleeding and yeah, yeah. Um, how big, like in, in terms of uh, like number of vendors, how big is that show? Oh, I wish I knew offhand. Um, and, and last year they actually, they have a main room, which is like a really small local, like basketball arena size. 
Um, and then that floors all, all the bleachers are back and stuff like that. I mean, there's probably, I would hate to ballpark it and be wrong, but I want to say like 90 like, or something. Like 60 tables, 70 tables? At least. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a, and then there's an annex room, which is another like conference room off of that. And then last year they opened up the basement, which, uh, had probably another 25 vendors at least in. So crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big show, especially for not being something like Tinley or Daytona. Those are like the real, real big shows. Well, um, I think those little shows are, are ones to be at too, because people are so gun ho um, like that. It's something local that they come to. And uh, usually a lot of vendors do really well at those small shows. Um, I know Reptile Basics is pretty big, so for him to do a show that's you know considered smaller, obviously it's a profitable show for him. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's definitely still probably top five or so reptile shows. Um, I mean Pomona, Tinley, Daytona, and then you're looking at like Hamburg and, and White Plains. So it's still kind of in that top tier. But uh, yeah. I mean I do I do well at our local local show. Like I do well at the small venues in which uh, families are just coming by and getting a pet because corn snakes are a great first pet. So it's, or, yeah, I, do, I, I did terrible at Tinley. I mean, I've done, I've done much, much better, you know, at my local show than I actually have at some of the big shows, just because that's usually the, the bigger investment guys, the, uh, the ball Python morphs and different, different right. rare species. I, I have a lot of, um, High-end corn snakes, but even for corn snakes, high-end really isn't a an investor type thing. Yeah, but there's some to be said of getting the exposure, even if you're not selling at those shows. The fact that you can afford to vend at those shows, and even if you're handing out business cards, I think it does uh, show that you're you're in the business, you know, for long term. Versus, you know, the local shows, I find that you get a lot of guys who are brand new to the business or looking to sell that one clutch they had and you probably won't see them again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of turnover, but there's also, I mean, on the East coast and in the U S there's so many different shows and you get to know, and you get to see like the same guys every single month or even every single weekend. So that you always have your core of people who, uh, who stick around and it kind of turns into a little community. I'm sure you guys have something similar. That you yeah, we've got, th we've got that, but we also notice, like, you know, I've been doing it for, I don't know, probably at least 15 years. Like, since you're old. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is older. <laughs> just saying. Um, but uh, it's funny. Cause we always like reminisce on all the people, like, you know, there's always that core group have been there like through most of it, but it's funny counting on the hands, uh, the people that you remember that were like gun ho and then, you know, maybe a couple of years in, then they disappeared. But uh, that's what I remember is the amount of people that came into the industry thinking that it was like, you know, big money reptiles are going to get you rich and then you don't see them a couple of years from now. Yeah. And I think people usually get pretty, pretty up in arms when people come in with the attitude with an attitude like that. But, I think it, it always kind of work, works itself out, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. We all see it come and go. Yeah, they come in like gangbusters. They're going to change the world. They've got all these big plans. Um, those are usually the people, the first ones to go, right? It's usually give them a couple of seasons and they're done. People that kind of glow, glow, grow slow and steady over time, build up the you know the experience and slowly work with different species or whatever, 
those are the ones that last long. Yeah, and they, I think. So to that point, people just want to jump, you know, run before they walk, right? And that never works. Yeah, and I think people initially you see some some dollar signs and stuff like that, and it may seem yeah. lucrative, but then you realize kind of what goes into it, and it's uh, not easy by any stretch. Yeah, well, there's that there's that uh, meme that's going around. If you want to become a millionaire in reptiles, you're gonna be a billionaire first. Yeah, like. Yeah, that was an old the, joke. The, the, Quickest way to make five million bu- or two million bucks in the reptile hobby is to start with four. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, it's it's few and far between, few and far between who actually can say that they've made a, a legitimate business where it's paying the bills versus you know just covering your costs and feeding your animals. Um, like, I I've been doing it. Like I said, probably. Well, I think it's got to be close to 20 years now, but most of that time was doing it out of my garage and like I was doing it for like fun money, like, you know, just for beer money. So it's definitely tough to, to make a living. So yeah, I think. That's very- <laughs> oh, friends. The friends jokes. <laughs> There's See, a- so actually uh, Danielle and uh, Michael, uh, uh, they, they were big fans of the show. They, they've been on every one of our lives. So we had actually sort of steered them your way, and we're really happy that they managed to hook up with you and, and got a real quality snake from you. They've been super happy with. But Michael's got a question that he was asking if you were going to do Oaks this month before they canceled it. Yeah, so Oaks is the reptile show, which is the one, I mean, it's probably 20 minutes away. So I pretty much roll out of bed and I can show up, and, you know, it's not a big deal, and uh, and we do well at it. So. But I mean, I haven't even thought about doing a show since February. I mean, it's just not no. at all worth it. No, <laughs> to be oh, honest. And it's, and it's and funny because it's funny because selling online for us, even like it has tapered off from like the high points of like the COVID numbers going up. Um, but it's still doing way better than it was in years past. Like, it'll be curious to see. Like, I, I don't know what to think of of uh, trade shows moving forward, whether, like, they're going to be beneficial or if people have just moved to, like, online is easier. I don't have to even get off my couch to, like, go to a show. Like, it'll be interesting what happens. And, and also how long it's going to be before we're even able to have trade shows. Like, our restrictions were kind of relaxed a bit here, but now we're getting – numbers increasing um and they haven't really talked about phase i think we're in phase two but you know we're limited to 50 people in public gatherings unless it's a protest and then i guess they're allowed 150 or yeah that, that's weird it's but changing all the time yeah but uh yeah it'll be interesting when we're finally allowed and what happens at those trade shows what do you think well, we have we have Daytona coming up here, and it's still on because it's in Florida, oh. and there's uh, not many rules in Florida. So uh, Florida man is alive and well. Yes, yes. So so people have been begging me <laughs> to go to that, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it being really worth it to. Uh, yeah. To go so to are you that. planning to like? Were you a vendor for that show? No. So I was just gonna go just for just okay. for the hang. I mean, Tinley is kind of the same thing. If uh, last year I was able to get a table, but realistically, I think like even this year I'll probably just uh, just go to hang out. Really, yeah, 
Yeah, we would love. I would love to go just to hang out at well, both those shows. Yeah. I, those are on the list for sure to do. We've had some invites for those shows too. It's just a matter of getting out there and making the time to do it. But yeah, that would be uh, a lot of fun to go and see just to just to do it. But yeah, I think I think myself that the shows are going to be fine. Like people are going to want. Like, there's always you want to see, touch, be around, like to see the animals in person. So there's that portion of it that there's the attraction to that people are always going to want to do the online stuff's convenient, but I still think you're going to get people that are always going to want to get out. They're going to want to go see the animals to go to the expos to chat in person with their friends. And I think over time with being segregated this much for this long, it's convenient at first. And then it's like, you kind of miss the interactions with actual people in person. And I think there's going to be more of a push towards that once it's back open. That's my thought anyway. I don't, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Well, James Lewis kind of said the same thing. I think the good shows will still be around. Folks love going to a show and seeing each other in person. And there's something to be said for the vendors. I mean, it's not necessarily just about the sales. Like I miss going to the bar on Friday and Saturday night with all the other vendors and just talking shop for the, you know, three or four hours. So definitely missing out on that. Even just being like a, as a buyer, just talking to certain breeders or people that have certain animals that you talk to online to actually speak to them in person that more of a conversation with about their animals to me that's, that's a big part of it and i know we have a lot of like the older, the, the older breeders aren't necessarily online and they really depend on the show circuit and stuff sure. like that so there really are some guys that you can only get in contact with at those shows unless it's through like email or fauna or something like that which just isn't isn't the same at all Older than me, even. Yeah, older than Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Chris the other day, and right now we would have done, I'm pretty sure, seven or eight shows I know, and we haven't had any. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it will be, it'll be great when it comes back, and I'm sure it will come back strong. I just hope a lot of those show promoters uh, are able to tough it through and, and keep on keeping on, and we're able to... Uh, I know, I know the Herp shows are going on in the south, uh, in the south of the United States here. So, they're have you figuring. Seen or, sorry, have you seen or heard of any like there's those online expos they were trying to do? I don't know how that even can be a thing. But do you have any thoughts or is anything? Have you seen any of that stuff? Yeah, it seems as though a couple of people have given it a try. I know one of them ended up uh, getting canceled like the day before or something like that. Um, One of them, one of them I think was actually happening the same time that, that I was putting on our live event and like everyone. Oh yeah. You guys did one, didn't you? Yeah. So, so I did uh, CritterCon live, which was basically a bunch of reptile educators getting together and having an online education show. So, so they were able to get a little bit of revenue and kind of, uh, get their fix as far as educating because these guys can't have public gathering stuff like that so they were uh, they were totally out of a job and out of uh out of doing their shows and they get for us we can we can adjust and we can we can sell animals online but it's not as easy for for people like reptile educators which i think is super important i mean that's something that you guys do obviously as well so uh yeah, so it was nice to, to help them out but there was also an online reptile show that same day and um it it looks like there was one that was successful and people sold animals and stuff like that i mean it's obviously not the same but if 
people sold animals and i mean that's great i mean and i just like people trying things right it's nice to see people try to adjust and and try to make the most out of their situations <laughs> we both yeah. respond as yeah i mean that's that. really all that you know you can do is make the make the best of it yeah make the best of it and you know carry on and like we we promote a show as well the wcre we've got a uh in red deer uh, the biggest reptile only expo in canada um and we were supposed to be doing one in Medicine Hat this year. So we branched out to a, a smaller community, just, you know, a few hours away. Um, and underrepresented, you know, there hasn't really been a lot of stuff out that way. And we were excited to do it. So felt a bad time, but we're still looking forward to moving forward and doing these shows again. So yeah, like for us, it's kind of nice because, you know, we are promoting the shows, but it's kind of like, an enjoyment for us not really about the making money but i know that in the u.s a lot of these bigger shows like that's kind of the sole incomes for some of those promoters so yeah. it makes it harder for them like us we're just biding our time and and we're all right because we're not relying on it but for those guys who like you know one or two shows a year is their income for the year that just definitely makes it tough yeah, and I mean, I know guys, especially in February and March, where things were kind of shaky here and shows were getting canceled like the week before. I mean, these guys had already put all their money in advertising and stuff like yeah. that. And well, and we and yeah, like we were lucky with that because we hadn't we were biding our time hoping that the show would go on, but we're not spending money on advertising like Tinley. Like we knew a bunch of people that were on the road to Tinley and found out like you know the day before that it got yeah, canceled like but it's not their fault like it's just crappy timing i guess and talk to those guys who ended up in Tinley they all got together and i think they all had a blast regardless so uh, they yeah. did yeah the the guys that we knew had, as one like, does yeah. yeah we would have been there with bells on if we were already planning <laughs> for sure yeah. i mean you got to make the best of it so we were fortunate that we had Well, one was supposed to be one one was supposed to be first week of july and the next one was going to be the third august. week in august but by then you knew those shows were really crap shoots if they were going to happen or not so we just held off yeah yeah i mean i guess uh in your perspective i mean what what steps are you taking going forward uh when do you think you can squeeze in the show well, we only do the two shows. Like our plan is like we've done the one show one time a year for 10 years. Um, so it's always the third week in August. So there was no point in like rescheduling it. It's just going to be we'll move it to next year. And this new show we hadn't done. So it's the same thing. Up here, a lot of the shows in Western Canada are run by um, either nonprofits or, or reptile clubs. So we didn't want to step on toes or you know, conflict with the dates. You don't want to have like back-to-back -back weekends where people are having to travel hours each way to try and make shows or decide which show to do. You want to make sure that people can do all the shows so that everybody kind of works together. So with, you know, the ones in Western Canada, like in BC and then Calgary here in Edmonton and Red Deer, we try and space it out. Um, so we didn't want to reschedule a show that may conflict with another show if they're going to, because the other, the other shows sort of have a spring and a fall show and we're sort of in the summertime. So we didn't really want to compete with that. So it's, it's a matter of, we'll just, you know, push it off till next year. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. Uh, 
Canadian politeness. We have we have show promoter promoters here on the East Coast where like they're dueling, right? They'll have shows yeah. opposite weekends in the same venues and stuff like that, or they'll have shows in the same state on the same weekend. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, it's kind of interesting. So out east in Canada, there's way more shows, and it it seems like the vendors really have to compete for sales. Um, whereas it's interesting for the show we put on, it's actually quite friendly. Like, you know, there's so many ball Python breeders, but you know, they want to be next to their buddies. So you've got like tables on tables of like competing vendors, but one guy runs out of it and they tell, they tell the customer that was a potential sale to them to, you know, go see their buddy two tables down. So I think we've got a little niche market here in the sense that everybody kind of for the most part gets along. So the shows are usually pretty fun. That's not like cutthroat. Yeah. I think yeah. In, a, in a good mature sector of the industry, like, uh, I don't know. It seems like a lot of us have our place like corn snake guys. I know who works with what I, if I don't work with something, I can refer someone somewhere else and someone who has quality animals. Um, yeah. I feel like there's, there's, we try not to, bang uh, or be in the same lane too much yeah yeah we i mean we've never we it's it's funny it, that's what, i don't know if you, you touched on that too is that we had some of the folks from out east come out and be blown away by how sort of friendly we were like without hesitation people recommending other vendors with the same stuff hey i don't have it but this guy over here you can talk to or this guy over here um just a different mentality i guess um I don't know. It's, it's, I guess it's, I guess it's weird, but it's, I think it's the only way to do it. And that's how you grow it as a community is all working together. Right. So just, you know, it just makes yeah, sense. I mean, right? they're, they're the guy you're having beers with after. Yeah, so, I mean, exactly. So they're, they're yeah, some of the only people on the planet that do the same exact thing you do or understand what you do. Like, it's a niche hobby and it's, you know, even though it's becoming more mainstream and, and, you know, there's, there's more money and stuff in it for some people, but it's just long-term. You have to look at the big picture and that person's going to remember that you were a good guy. You gave them good information and you sent them in a direction to a good animal. So who are they going to talk to again? That guy, I trust that guy because he steered me the right direction. So it all comes back around. And if you're looking at long-term, that all pays off in the end long-term. So, you know, you just be a good guy and be good about it and it all works out in the end. 100%. Um, we got some questions here. Joe, what's your favorite snake you've ever bred? So my favorite snake. Another snake. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make that clear. Favorite snake I have ever bred is the Louisiana pine snake or Pituophis ruthenii. So that's a federally enlisted endangered species here in the United States in uh, the southeast United States, obviously Louisiana and uh, as well yep. as East Texas. So um i'm just lucky to be able to work with that animal and this year i got eggs for the second year in a row and they should be due any day now so i'm i'm pretty pumped about that and i'm always pumped about that uh, nice yeah that's, uh, that's been a, that was an animal that was on my list for many years um they're very tough to find up here too especially even like proper pure there was a lot of people years ago crossing with other stuff because they were so hard to find they say there's more of those in captivity than in the wild. Same with black pines. But I saw uh, Vanning got his hands on some as well as uh, yeah, he did. Stampede 
or something that's up there yeah, who has a line that I don't have that I would really like to. I almost need to get them imported back into the United States because they're from there. Yeah, exactly. Just drive to Louisiana, damn it. <laughs> that's generally frowned upon. Yeah, I know. They're protected. I'm just kidding for anybody that's actually. Um, all right, so we'll touch on a few other things here. Um, CPE canceled until 2021. So that's the Canadian Pet Expo, which is kind of Eastern Canadian shows uh, that Grant Crossman puts on. Um, so that's interesting that it's um, been canceled till that far along. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't want to be canceling shows until I knew for sure, you know, within a couple months anyway. So that's yeah. interesting that I think he would probably have a show. He, I know he had CPE. They do a, um, a Christmas show, so that'd be in December. So yeah. being that they're canceling well into December is uh, interesting. Um, but I think uh, it's more, like you said, it's a money put out. Um, well, it's a risk. Too, right? yeah. yeah, the risk. It's, it's yeah. not worth it. Yeah. Limit your, limit your risk, right? Yeah. Your exposure. Um, and then Katie came in and asked about an uh, update on Reptile Show. It was like in the beginning of the feed. Sorry, late for the conversation. Forgive me if it's been asked. Any chances of an expo this year? Um, the WCRE locally, which I think you are, um, we did cancel it. Um, I'll try to get an email out to the vendors, but it's already been announced on our Facebook page that we're not putting it on. Um, Calgary and Edmonton are up in the air. They're waiting for um, restrictions to be relaxed, and there's still some time there, so they don't want to cancel just yet. Yeah. Uh, I feel personally that 2020 is probably a write-off for all reptile shows for the most part, which is unfortunate, um, at least locally here. Um, yeah. I do know that it sounds like BC because it's early September and they aren't relaxing their numbers. It sounds like that one isn't going to happen. So I feel like pretty much Alberta, well, Western Canada, well, it sounds like all of Canada is probably a write-off for 2020, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot. The population doesn't warrant it up here too. So this kind of stuff Anything that's going to affect it, like like it like this, it makes sense. I mean, it makes maybe more sense in somewhere like the states where you've got regions that have the entire population of this country in small area that they could potentially still put on a show if the restrictions are lifted, um, even with enough time to put on a show late in the year. They could probably get away with it, but it doesn't make sense for us up here. No. Yeah, people aren't approaching the same caution that, that you guys are. Uh, they're trying to squeeze them in, you know, wherever they can for sure. As long as it's as long as it's somewhat legal, I mean, it's happening. Somewhat illegal. <laughs> yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Um, so, getting back to your collection, um, I think a lot of people who are on here know that uh, you're into corns, and obviously you're into pine snakes as well. So, what else do you have in your collection? Um, I do have some kink snakes, so I have eastern black kink snakes, and those are, uh, a lot of people know Mexican black kink snakes, and it's a totally different snake, so um, this is Lampropeltis nigra, so it's, uh, a lot of the other kink snakes that you see in captivity are going to be your common kink snakes, so this is a different species altogether, and uh, they start out like black and white, almost like some of your... Uh, some of your really basic exanthic like Brooks king snakes or something like they that. They look and like rookie too, right? Like yeah. speckled. Oh yeah, yeah. See, that's that's also the thing is that 
their range and the speckleds, it seems as though you go further south and then the eastern black kink snake kind of turns into the speckled kink snake. And yeah. you'll see animals getting more and more pattern and then more and more yellow coloration. And uh, yeah, it seems to it seems to melt, uh, especially around the southeast uh, United States, somewhere like Alabama. But uh, yeah, I love yeah. the eastern black kink snakes. I also have uh, I have Brooks kink snakes. I have. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's really the bulk of everything. I have some different rare rat snakes and stuff like that, as well as carpet python, olive python and some Indo-Australian stuff. So I've got a question here for you. So Port City pythons, you obviously started off with pythons initially. Yep. Which pythons were those? They were ball pythons. Were they okay? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like just like so many other people, right? You don't have to sound embarrassed by saying it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you just you realize how much of a pain in the ass it is, to be honest. <laughs> That's funny. So I've seen Port City pets too. So is it now? Have you changed it to Port City pets, or is it still Port City pythons, or what's the? Yeah, so I want to say it was probably January. I kind of turned a new leaf in what I work with for the most part as far as I expanded the business into isopods and bioactive substrates and stuff like that. So I wanted something that encompassed – because Port City Pythons wasn't working already, right? I, I was mostly corn snakes for really the last four right. or five years. So it uh, really made no sense. Every single show, someone had a smart-ass comment about the pythons <laughs> calling corsage uh -huh. python and all this other stuff so it's like yeah. yeah this is a this is a good opportunity just to change it all together so everything's port city pet uh across the board at this point so okay that, that's what we're sticking with uh i still have some business cards left to say port city pythons but uh that's about it trying to phase it out as much as possible yeah i mean it's the same thing like cornell's world is better than than kind of typecasting to cornell's world terrariums because we sell so much more than that, that it's better to be broad than to, yeah. than to uh, point yourself in one direction and miss out on some sales because of it. Keep a general diversify. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I realized that I yeah. even, I, my interest may wane to a certain degree. So who knows? I'm, I have a bunch of geckos right now. So I'm, I'm selling some, some gecko food, some gecko accessories and stuff like that. So uh, it's opening up all these other sectors of, me following my own interest too so i can have fun in my own business and not yeah you know, have i see that you have lychees now do you did you bring one to show us you need to show us a lychee no man i don't i don't know it's oh. a little sketchy creature oh. right now i can i can go get them real quick though if you want me to if, I, I if you don't mind yeah yeah for they're sure. literally my my favorite gecko we'll yeah. talk amongst ourselves and entering the masses the pajama geckos are my favorite <laughs> I need to get a, another beer anyhow, so be back. Sure. <laughs> I, uh, I feel like the bathroom break might yeah, be in order. <laughs> some iced tea. So, so we can address some of the questions to us. Well, there you go. So Rach says, we can host an expo in Aberdeen, zero cases. Yeah. So I guess we're doing an Aberdeen expo now. We'll have like four. Population four, eight. Yeah, 600, <laughs> something like that. Um, yeah, Saskatchewan. Uh, we probably get 600 people show up. Yeah. Saskatchewan's <laughs> kind of the low point. In Canada. Uh, yeah. They might not let us in, though. They'd be like, Berta, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. 
Um, well, what do we want to talk about? Well, there's a few questions here too. So let's scroll back real quick and we'll, we'll address the CRBE and our questions while Joe's not there. Yeah. I always feel bad answering questions about our stuff when we have somebody on to talk about their stuff. I'm getting some new reptiles soon. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, we, uh, your favorite. Are, I'm getting uh, actually not just one, but I'm getting two. Uh, um, monkey tail skinks. <laughs> I'm trying to blank. A monkey tail skink. So, yeah. Just, uh, got an offer that I couldn't refuse literally yesterday and uh, be getting a couple young monkey tail skinks. So, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, plans are in place to uh, make a make a new cage. Fancy, fun little build yeah. for the shop. Yeah, fancy, fun builds for the shop. Yeah. So it should be cool. Yeah, we'll keep you guys in suspense for that. We'll unveil it when it's ready. But uh, um, this week we've actually been working on. We've got three potential builds that may happen in the U.S., which would be really cool. Yeah. Oh, it's still youngin. Oh, hello, baby. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm not going to take him out and hold him or anything. He's still a little, he's definitely skittish, especially at night here. But uh, yeah, this is a little leechy. So yeah, tell us what you've got here. Yeah, this is a New Caledonian species called a leechianus gecko, the largest species of gecko. And uh, yeah, pretty much uh, comes from the same place as your crested geckos and your gargoyle geckos, but definitely a, a different acting animal. Um, they say that they, they pair for life to a certain degree and, and breeders specifically have some, uh, you need to find a pair that's compatible. Um, I've, I've heard it's really not, not as terribly hard as, as some people make it out to be as far as finding two compatible animals, but they can really rough each other yeah. up if you, don't, if you don't, uh, if you have ones that aren't compatible, but yeah, I don't, I, I'll be honest. I'm I'm still working with them. Obviously, this is a baby, and so I'm I'm just starting to work with the species. So I really don't know. Uh, I I would hate to tell you too much about how to keep them or anything like that because uh, that's what I'm figuring out right now. Really, you know, it's a learning process. Always. Yeah, that's what you appreciate. Up. Is is you know, you're you're learning, and and these are new to you, and it's exciting, right? Like that's that's super cool to me. I, yeah, I one day I'm gonna have some of those. Yeah, it's like you become a beginner again every single time you get something that's uh, kind of out of your wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, I think that's the biggest thing with reptiles is fostering that passion and finding things that you didn't realize that you, you would become passionate in. So like for you branching out with geckos, um, you know, it kind of harbors that interest that got you started in the beginning and, and just kindles the fire. <laughs> Yeah, and you have if you have the capacity to enjoy snakes, you probably have the capacity to like other reptiles. So yeah. you'll, you'll get caught with something <laughs> else uh, eventually. You're not wrong. Yeah, yeah it sounds funny. I mean, that. it's it's the same thing for me. Like I was never, I never had any snakes, and now at the shop, I think we have five. So uh, it's not much different. Yeah, yeah, and that that probably extends into other hobbies too. I'm sure uh, there's plenty yeah. of reptile people with fish and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? drinking yeah <laughs> you know I mean, the, the nice thing with leeches too is that the care is pretty easy it's you know basically room temperature you know that it's, it's pretty consistent temperature wise like they're pretty the care is very similar to crested gecko they're just a lot bigger you know and get and get a lot bigger yeah yeah i would say it definitely takes a little bit more of uh 
knowing what you're doing handling wise, which yeah. I think is also part of whenever you kind of grow rarer or bigger or something like that, you know, there's always uh, there's always different things to consider. Well, it's an extra level of caution. You start learning more to read about the animal itself. You're, you're really locked in on their behaviors, you know, with something smaller, you can get away with, with more, but when it's something that's going to potentially get bigger and can, you know, a full size lychee can do a little bit of damage when it bites you. So you want to make sure that you're cognizant of that, but you're also aware of, you don't want to hurt the animal itself. So you want to make sure you're caring for it properly and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and and like, go ahead. Like I'm not, I'm not handling the gecko, not because I don't want to be bit. It's because I don't want it to run off and it's kind of yeah. hard. Yeah, to yeah. Grab and they're kind of fast and yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that because right before we started the live, um, our Cuban frog is never out and it was like right out. So I was like trying to nudge him more out and he jumped like right out of the cage onto my shoe. And uh, that's a problem with some of these animals is uh, they don't like to be handled. So uh, it's best to like appreciate from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody was asking, uh, do you know the locality of, of your um, lychee? So I believe this is a new one, okay. which I'm going to be very uh, straightforward and say that that really doesn't matter to me that much. That's why I'm like, no. Yeah. I just, I'm just a person who wanted at least one of these things because. I mean, I've been looking at this gecko for years and was always kind yeah. of just blown away. <laughs> Literally, Chris is drooling here now because he's in the same boat, yeah. but, he, but he doesn't have one yet. And it's funny. I've had opportunities, and I just, for whatever reason, haven't pulled it a few times. I could have, but I was like, no, you know what? I just, yeah, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. But, yeah, I always shoot myself or kick myself afterwards. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, that's the thing, too, about being involved in the community is that, Sometimes you'll have friends that at the right time have the right animals. Like, yeah, you know, the right person who wanted something from me has this animal I was able to trade. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't yeah. be able normally to just buy this animal for fun. Uh, well, but, that's me yeah. and monkey tails. A deal just came up yesterday for two monkey tails that I talked to Chris. I'm like, this seems like a really good deal for yeah. me. Right. He's like, <laughs> yep, you should do that. So uh, yeah, we're going to have two monkey tails. Yeah, because I think it's funny, uh, as at some point you kind of, uh, I've become very snake rich and money poor, and then you have someone who's gecko rich <laughs> and money poor who wants to be in snakes, and then uh, sometimes <laughs> you can cross over, and you can both really... That's uh, a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's moving. Another question for you, too, it's a bit off topic, is um, how did you get started in on the podcast and things? Yeah, so really, um, I always really enjoyed podcasts, and that doesn't just extend to reptile podcasts. Um, pretty much, I was, at the time, I was moving around a lot for, uh, I would have to go to drill and stuff like that and training for the Army, and I had a pretty decent commute at work at times, and I would always listen to podcasts. And uh, really, the first reptile podcast I ever listened to was Reptile Radio with Larry and... Uh, yeah, back in the day, and that was uh, that was just amazing. That really opened me up to all the different people who were like breeding professionally and ball pythons and stuff like that. So I think that you know that was a big that was a big part of me at least getting started in ball pythons because I had had corn snakes that I've had for a while, 
and then um sorry there's an i just took it off the cork bark and then there's an isopod that i keep in uh, the lychee's bioactive <laughs> that's like 25 cents running around joe is now bioactive <laughs> cuberis morena that's what i put in here little c mind how popular isopods have become oh yeah it's amazing um that's really the the main the main staple of my business at this point honestly is selling isopods really yeah it's, it's the most consistent thing that i do um, of course it's, it's just crazy people. because they're a feeder item i mean realistically and and now they're like a collector item like a ball python would be uh, it's just interesting to me that 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 market has evolved out of nowhere and just exploded. Like it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, yeah. I have rubber duckies, and those I mean, cool. those are a lot of the times you're seeing them for like at least fifty dollars each for yeah. a little tiny crustacean. Like it's outrageous for for something in which you know isopods you can lift up. You can lift up a stone in your backyard and you're going to see some some probably armadillidium and some porcelio and some different species going on there. Uh, even in the in the backyard here, I can lift up and I find gold phase uh, vulgare and then I'll find normal phased ones and I'll find like all different types of cool isopods. So I don't know. It also it also gets you into looking a little bit deeper on what you have uh, even in your right right in your backyard. Because, because honestly, like things like the rubber duckies, that's not really exactly what I'm into. They're, I mean, I think it's absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous that you pay that much for, for, a, for a bug essentially, even though they're not, they're not technically bugs, but, yeah. um, but it, it, it's all in good fun. Um, I had to have them because that's the thing. We get, we got to well, have them all. The funny thing is that, I mean, if you're from somewhere that something's not native to, you think the same, or you, you know, vice versa, you think the same thing. Something's really common where you're from. You don't look twice at it. Whereas somebody, you know, in another country or across the world where it's rare and now they want that and they'll pay a lot of money for it. You're like, literally I could find them in my yard. <laughs> That's everything though. Like to somebody else, everything we keep is the same thing where they're like, really? That's ridiculous. You pay money for that. They're everywhere. I find them. It's like amazing. Yeah. So it's yeah. That's all the hobbies. It's it's kind of the same thing. Or all all sections of the hobby with whether it's the insects or the, uh, the the reptiles. Anything. It's it's just crazy. Yeah. Andy's asking, what's your favorite isopod? Um, my favorite. It it really depends because I like isopods for different reasons. So. As far as like the most dynamic, my favorite isopod to use in enclosures is definitely uh, like powder oranges or powder blues. They're super active and they're some of my favorite to keep too because they are super active. Like you can put food in there and you can actively see them go and eat it and stuff like that. And you can see them kind of interact with each other. You can see them kind of bumping up against each other and kind of pissing each other off. And then you can see them breeding and, you know, they have all these different kind of a range of behaviors that you wouldn't expect, like you wouldn't be able to be able to see. And then uh, in the geckos enclosure, those Cuberus moreno, which is actually the same species as the rubber duckies. It's just the normal color phase. Um, I really love those for the crested geckos and for gargoyle geckos and the lychees. And then just to look at, 
dairy cows are excellent, which are just the ones that are that are white and black. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're also active as well. So that's something. What, I like. What's like for me? I've never really looked into isopods that much. Um, I have kept them, but I feel like I've probably drowned them out with the misting system. <laughs> Um, but like, what's a, what's an, a lifespan for isopods? Like with those rubber duckies, are fifty bucks a pop. Like, how long do they live for? Um, I wish I could tell you for sure. And obviously, it's hard to know when you have cultures of so many of them. But I believe the the lifespan is typically up to like three years or so. Okay. Okay. And so, and you are seeing a maturity thing. Like you, you do have, you may have to wait six months for it to get mature. Like it is, it's not as straightforward. It's not as doesn't turn over as quickly as, as you think it would. Um, the powder oranges do, you know, within a month, you may have a real thriving culture of them, but uh, things like the rubber duckies may take six months to really calm down and mature. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, I've never, I've never kept any isopods as pets or the whole, uh, I mean, that whole end of the hobby with, with a lot of the insects, the tarantulas, the scorpions, you know, the arachnids and the invertebrates and stuff it's it's interesting but i've never delved into it so it's very foreign to me so i guess yeah i can't really speak on the species or subspecies so i'm i didn't realize kind of until i got into it until i started bringing them to shows that they're really kind of a gateway to insects or arachnid or something like people are pretty accepting of these little roly polies in comparison yeah. to you know, a cockroach or something like that. Isopods, I mean, they have gills. They breathe through gills. They right. uh, they have babies that are called mankai, or some people call them monkeys, and they uh, oh, they cool. stay in a pouch underneath the mom's belly. So it's like it's they're really yeah. really cool animals, and they're kind of more endearing than than you would think. Well, like you said, they're technically crustaceans, right? Like they're not even. Yeah, it's a little land lobster of sorts. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, Here's... and. and your crustaceans, I mean, you guys are eating bugs out of the ocean, your lobsters yeah, and your crabs. Yeah, sea bugs, yeah. sea bugs are bugs. delicious, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, Katie came in was saying, is it true isopods can eat an entire large shed in a matter of hours? I'll be honest, I'm not into bugs. I can get a can. I got a can of cockroaches as a gift for my skinks are still on the can. <laughs> yeah, so you'll see. Like exaggeration. You'll see like uh, powder <laughs> oranges. If a snake sheds, it will probably it will be in a bunch of like a million little pieces by the morning. Uh, so oh, just really? And then uh, if you have a drying dryer enclosure, giant canyon isopods, they're they're a bit bigger, uh, probably maybe about as long as a nickel or so, and oh, really? they and they actually eat a lot more. They're very protein aggressive, so they really really like those sheds, and they will they'll really take care of a shed in almost overnight. So oh, yeah. Really? So that's why, like, like a species like that is a great is a great species to keep if you have something that stays a little bit drier and they can they can get wet and dry, but uh, it's hard to find a an isopod since they have gills and stuff like that too, that really does well in in dry conditions, and that's one of them. So is that a challenge then when you're keeping those? I guess you have to have animals in there that aren't necessarily going to see them as food, right? Like you don't want to yeah. have some kind of like the worst lizards or whatever they're just going to chow down. Yeah, or that's, you know, it may be a benefit also because I keep, I keep you know, probably four inches or so of bioactive substrate and then leaf litter on top. So if I put 100 isopods in there and they're all in the leaf litter, 
the chances of them all being predated um, is pretty slim. If there's like one gecko right. in there, um, they'll yeah. usually keep up. So right. it can it can be a nice kind of uh, supplement for for a gecko, or they they are pretty high in uh, protein and calcium. So so it, it's a really good so- source of calcium for them. I guess it would be how how productive they are as far as you know reproduction and, and all that stuff. If they're if they're eating more than are being produced, then it would just suck. I think it depends on the size of them too. If you've got a big gecko and these tiny isopods. I don't really see them as much of a prey item uh, versus a cryptid or a superworm or a roach. Yeah, and that's that's something that the dart frog people kind of figured out first is that, you know, this this isopod can go with this dart frog species because they're too big actually for the dart frog to eat. So you can always have a steady source of them. If you have dwarf whites, you know, they will feed off them occasionally. So if you're looking for something like that, a small supplement, then that's the way to go. So yeah, there's there's different situations that kind of warrant different different species of isopods. So uh, we had um, we've got a colony of um, painted agamas here, and they love to as soon as the lights go out, jump on the uh, the screen lids and like travel back and forth and is creating a ruckus. But uh, I don't know if I can get this guy in. This is one of our males, but it's like got these. Crazy blue colors. But we've got at least one really fat female. So we're wondering if she's got, uh, yeah, we're hoping she's gravid. So it'd be interesting if we have some babies down the road of these guys. Have you got some snakes to show us, Joe? Yeah. No, Danielle's yeah. dying to see some snakes. <laughs> yeah, I have some corn snakes here. Uh, there's also some other stuff, but I'll start start with this guy. Um, and this is actually an adult male corn snake. He's bred the last two years for me. And this is a snow tessera, which is an anery as well as an amel. And then with the tessera gene, tessera is a pattern gene. And then anery is the reduction of reds and yellows. And then amelanistic is the reduction of black. And it results in this white animal, predominantly white, right? It's kind of an incomplete uh, lucism is what some people call it. Yeah. And uh, so you can it's see there's a bunch there. of yellow. Um, in person, it's a little bit more pink. It's kind of a light, light pinkish color, but you can still see like the stripe from the tessera going down the dorsal. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's crazy. Yeah, so this guy is named The Brain. This guy is, uh, he's actually the guy who goes to all of the shows and he is the snake that, that kids typically hold at shows because I've had him since a baby pretty much doing that and getting so accustomed nice. to handling. So how old a fella is he? He is five years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, people are always kind of surprised at how small an adult male is. And listen, they do yep. get a bit bigger than this. And this animal may be predisposed to be a little bit smaller. He is a little bit smaller than a lot of my males that I have, especially yeah. of that age. But, it's um, like people and, you know, yeah. everybody's different. And, and same thing, a lot of morphs too. You, I find a lot of the morphs just because originally maybe they were bred very early to somebody was really looking at producing them. So they, you know, they, they, a lot of the morphs I find tend to be a little bit smaller typically. Yeah, I think I think I would be lying if I said that there are certain morphs that don't do better than others and that have different quality to them or that feed better than others or just have 
general size and even like head shape, you know, some head shapes can be different. I think definitely with colubrids, these have been bred, you know, so long in captivity that um, even Tessera has thought that maybe it comes from a Newport king snake. It's the same exact, it's the same exact pattern as a Newport king snake. If you oh, really? if you cross Newport king snake to a corn snake and then cross it back again, you get a snake that looks almost identical to this Tessera. Oh, and really? The, the original animal came came off of fauna classifieds without much background information. So very well, right. this could be a hybrid. I would never tell anyone that it's 100% pure. And quite frankly, if you're in right. corn snake and you're looking for purity, um, you may be in Good the luck. wrong <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Here yeah. in the U.S., we're lucky. We have, we have some breeders who really like locales and F1s, and they have things that are pretty yeah. damn close to the wild. But if you're, if you're in morphs, and you're worried about purity, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, the corns, uh, carpets, yeah, good luck. Um, I wanted to touch on one thing. Is king snakes still around? Is that where people still advertise? Or no, you said fauna, didn't you, not king snake? Both of them. Well, both of them are still around. Both of them look exactly the same as they huh. did in 1998. And uh, Crazy. Yeah, some people, some people. I mean, I I put up an ad up there every once in a while, and it still works. Yeah, yeah. no, that's crazy. Like, yeah, King Snake. I started in probably '97, but I mean, the mainstays for the forums were like we had a Canadian one, and then it was King Snake, and uh, that's kind of cool that it is actually still going. Yeah, in a way, and it's kind of this. Fauna was like all about the uh, the board of inquiry yeah, for no, us. Well, and the class one. Yeah, yeah. More yeah. in the U.S. So what do we got here? It's, yeah, I brought. Um, this is actually lunch. a clutch that just hatched out. Um, trying to figure out oh, a way. To, oh, there you go. There you go. So this is actually the brain's babies. You can see all those those little pink guys right there That's are crazy. snow tesseras. Yeah. And then you got a bunch of anneries in there. This is uh, an annery nice. head snow to the brain, who's a snow tessera. And I got really unlucky. And you can see there's a normal annery in there, which is uh, almost impossible odds. Uh, not Funny, in a good the, way. The one, thing, the one thing I tell people that are new to the hobby or, or have never been to a reptile expo is that the second they go to the reptile expo, they're never going to look at deli containers or anything yeah. the same ever again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, plastic containers really come in handy, especially with the with the baby colubrids. I mean, that's what I I put babies in takeout containers in yeah. these black takeout containers, and that's pretty much what they live in for the first three months or so. Um, yeah, I don't know if you can see these are actually some pretty big babies coming out of here. But, yeah, I mean, babies are really you know maybe three to five grams or so. So these guys are tiny, and they will get out of. Pretty much, if you give them something big, a big enclosure, they can they can figure their way out of it somehow. Unless you, there's some enclosures that have screen or sliding or, uh, screening. I'm losing a baby, and I'm losing my yeah. my mind. Grab here. your babies, <laughs> and, uh, and they have sliding, <laughs> and they uh, are essentially escape proof for these guys. But keeping them in small enclosures is probably the best bet to start out. Well, and they can find their way, like you said, they can find their way out. I remember I had to get a special made 
enclosure from you breeding garter snakes because the babies are so small in certain species that I couldn't have front opening anything. It had to be top opening just because they would find the smallest crack they could squeeze through. And I had an entire litter of babies in my basement one season because of that. So I rectified that in a hurry. So that's pretty smart. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a super it's a gap in the market as far as enclosures go is that every single show that I go to, I tell people and I tell people who buy the snakes, hey, like no matter what you do, like just make sure that this thing does not escape. Do everything that you can to make it, you know, that it's not able to get out. But but all these enclosures that are on the market for the most part that are readily available a little baby corn snake will, will get out of it. And I mean, even they sell them at Petco and PetSmart and all of that. And they sell baby corn snakes there and they put them in 10 gallon tanks and they're gone. I mean, even, you know, even a large, a large uh, percentage more than I'd like to admit of my customers, even though I tell them about it, you you know, they end up getting out in one way or another. And we need, we need some type of closure in which, you know, is readily available, is cheap, and will kind of keep these guys in at, yeah. no matter what size. It's hard to find containers that are tight that aren't have don't have soft lids that they can squeeze out of, that clamp down. There's always that's always the the struggle. Baby containers. Yeah, yeah, and, and once you once you find something that, as a breeder, you know, I can go with the takeout containers, but that's not, you know, that's probably not the best option for someone picking up a pet from me, right? So. Um, I need to have a little bit, something a little bit bigger and a little bit more, uh, a little bit more pretty for, for someone who wants to keep it on their, on their bedroom dresser or something like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what, what are your plans moving forward with the hobby? Um, what are you looking to do with your breeding plans moving forward, you know, down the road? What, what are you looking at? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking to, I'm definitely going to pare down some of my corn snake projects. So I have, I have those, I have those real, uh, you know, probably three or four projects in which before they even come out, they're pre-sold and are like sold out every single year. And I really want to focus on things like that because it's very obvious that that's, people are telling me that that's, that's my strong suit. Right. And I, and I like those animals too. And quite frankly, they probably sell out because I show them off so much, but so it's like clearly I really like those animals. And for the last few years, I've been producing some clutches in which I'm doing it just to kind of get the numbers going. And now I think I'm at the point in my collection where I need to dwindle down numbers and focus on a few projects um, and the more popular projects and the projects that I enjoy as well. And uh, and the isopods are taking up a lot of my time and shipping them and things like that. You know, I'm shipping things every day. So. So my focus is changing based on uh, both what I'm enjoying and what people are telling me they enjoy too. So it's kind of, uh, I think a lot of times the the common advice in the reptile hobby is pick the projects that you like and go with that. Yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent, if you like something, then you can get you can get someone into a species if you're producing 10 of them. If you're producing 100 of them, I don't know, unless you go wholesale, but, um, so you kind of gotta, you kind of gotta listen to people too. You gotta give people what they like as well as what you like and kind of find your balance there. At least that's what I, it really really shows though, when, when you're really passionate about it and you're excited about it and you enjoy 
those particular animals, those are the ones that, for me, in my experience, long term, do the best with where really enjoy working with them. You know a lot about them. You're excited to talk about them. You're a lot more animated when you're talking about them, and that's what gets people more excited about them. You know, if you're looking at the numbers and stuff, and those are the ones that you might be okay for a season or two, but it never it never plays out long term. You know, yeah. so that advice holds true. I, I think you see it in trade shows especially. I mean, they can be super passionate with the animals that they have, but you know, when you've got a table full of these animals and you compare a guy who's standing up talking and is animated and you can see the passion, people are going to gravitate to those people versus the guy who's got his arms folded and he's pissed off because he's only sold one snake today, yeah. but he doesn't want to talk to anybody. Like, Staring the, at his phone. Yeah, the, yeah. Peop the people who are like wanting to share that passion with people in terms of you know, it may take an hour and a half to teach this nine-year-old all the ins and outs of this corn snake. But I mean, that family is going to come back to you for all their advice and, you know, maybe their supplies and everything else. And you're fostering the hobby too. Like we need this hobby to flourish and, and the more education and the more passionate we are, and it's not about the money, I think the better the hobby is going to do as a whole. Yeah, I think we we kind of underestimate. I think a lot of people see us as reptile people, as people who aren't social, people who don't necessarily like people. We like animals more than people. It may be true in a lot of cases, but but also I think it takes the people who I know who are successful in this in this industry are people who also like to talk to people and also like to get people interested in the reptiles and yeah. like to spread the knowledge and kind of build the the community around whether it be their species of snake that they're that I mean, look at Morelia Python Radio. They built, you know, a a giant community around just a specific genus of python, which I think is really cool. And you can do that. It's contagious. Like when somebody's passionate about it and they're speaking with that passion, it's it's super contagious. And even people that aren't even into reptiles will suddenly listen. Like, what are you so excited about? Like, what's going on here? Maybe I'm missing something. Like that energy and stuff that, that people just latch onto. Um, and I noticed, and just kind of circle back a bit, uh, Chris had mentioned uh, in the chat earlier that the expos are a great opportunity Teaching. to teach. Like that's an educational tool as well. And that's where a lot of people, like it's either the brick and mortar stores and there's less and less of those because of the online world. So it becomes the expos where people learn about and buy their first reptiles. And they get to talk to people that work with them and are passionate about them. And that rubs off. And that makes a huge impact on people when they see this guy talking about these animals. He loves them. He's passionate about them. They learn about them from the guy that's worked with them for a number of years or whatever, or, the, or, or girl or whatever. But that really resonates. you know. So that's why I feel, again, to circle back to the expos, that's really important for the educational component too. And you also can't, can't really prejudge anyone. You can't write people off. You need to give everyone attention and be able to teach everyone, which I know takes a lot of patience and it can be really, really tough. But I think something like, uh, like take take Danielle for example, Danielle and and Michael. Yeah. They they saw your show. They get interested. They reach out to you guys. And then ultimately they go to me, they get a corn snake and now they post all the time about their corn yep. snake on Facebook. So Ralph. not only <laughs> and, and Raphael, Raphael, sorry, Raphael, sorry. And, and where they got it from. Yeah. 
No, yeah, and I and yes, that that benefits me, but also I have I have taught them how to keep their snake and how to like learn from their snake essentially, and now they are educating the people that they're friends with. I mean, they're posting it on their personal Facebooks in which you know just their friends from home are on. You know, it's not it's not snake people. It's not all snake people and stuff like that. So, um, you know your customers eventually turn into people who are keeping and breeding and educating as well. So it's uh, keeping that snowball going basically. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and it's nice to see that it's funny. Uh, like I said, being in the industry for so long um, it's, it's cool to see those people who are first time customers that maybe at some point in their career or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, th they become, fellow vendors and they're selling their animals yeah. and, and, you know, those kids as, as like preteens or teenagers or whatever, and, you know, seeing them at 20 and yeah. loving the hobby and selling animals. Like, it's really cool to see. See them passionate and educating yeah. people. And, and uh, here's a comment here from Devin McKenzie. One of my favorite things about working expos is introducing kids to the reptile world and seeing them light up. And for me, that's one of the best things ever is when you get a chance to, to sit and talk with some kids or somebody who's maybe afraid or unsure or, or even the kids that are already seem to be into them and you can educate them and you sit down and talk to them and, and, and maybe help them understand or, or, you know, just, just, just get them into it. it. That really just gets me going. Yeah. Well, to add to that, I would say even, you know, to be one, one better is that the reptile shows those people who are actually scared of reptiles yeah. and, and, whether it's you or another vendor, like getting them to hold a snake for the first time, like, you know, as soon as they finally do it, they, they're like yeah. addicted and you know, like, oh, by the next show, they're probably looking to buy their yeah. first snake. Like, oh, it's not this big, scary, slimy monster. Yeah, I mean, that's why yeah. I, I always advocate to bring an animal for the public to hold. And I know people don't like that because you're really opening, opening yourself up to, you know, different things that, uh, you know, same mites that can be passed on from a different vendor. Obviously, that's not good. But if you bring an adult animal, you can quarantine that animal after. But I mean, it goes such a long way, whether whether it's education or whether it's being able to sell. It's really hard to sell a baby corn snake that's so small that it fits in your hand. and People are a little nervous. And then I can say, hey, here's what an adult is. This is how common yeah. it will be as an adult if you do all the right things. And uh yeah, it really changes people's minds. Um, so I think, I, I think that opportunity would be, you know, would be selling everything short and kind of uh, and not making the best use of your time while you're at a reptile show. Yeah. And like for me, example, as a vendor at, at a lot of the shows, I'll if I'm selling animals there or even if I'm not, I'll try and bring some stuff for display to show people. And if I'm selling, if I've got babies. I'll try and bring one of the parents there. So I'm like, here's the babies here's an adult version of this. Like this is the parent, this is the mom, the dad, whatever. This is what this grows into. So here's the full size, the adult, here's the, you know, all that stuff, Tem basic general temperament. They're all different, obviously, but that makes a big impact too. Cause again, like you said, you see this little tiny baby, that's fine. When you see, you know, five or six foot or whatever snake, that's, that's different. Or it's not as big. You hear it's a five foot snake. Well, it's curled up. It doesn't look, you think it's this monster. Oh, it's as big as me. Well, it's really not that big. So it's just showing them, you know, what you're getting into. Here's here's what you're here's what you're starting with. Here's what you're getting into. You want to show them that kind of stuff. Like to me, that's a big thing. 
Well, on the same time, showing the commitment level too, like yeah. corn snakes and ball pythons, those are easy and, and the adults aren't so daunting. But, uh, you know, for example, tortoises, it's great to see some people bringing an adult sulcata that they've got these cute little babies and God, they're freaking cute when they're like the size of a toonie. But you got to realize that they get a, you know, 100 pounds and live. They can have to 200 pounds. Well, exactly. I mean, 150 is yeah. probably... I know in shows around here, they're starting to, like, we haven't sold sulcatas. We don't sell iguanas. Um, tegus and monitors are starting to get a little more restricted in areas that they are actually legal. Um, but that's probably a good thing. But, you know, having them there, there are some people that are going to be passionate enough to put in the time to keep them properly. So I'd hate to see them not at shows, to be honest. But I do think that we need to be a little more limiting on certain animals that are sold what i am incredibly jealous about is that you guys can have fiji iguanas <laughs> that always blows my mind they're very tough to come by yeah. up here like yeah. there's a handful of them up here so funny story about fiji's yeah. um at uh the 2019 january super show we drove down there so we got to hang with some friends in sandy Diego, and because of their creation, we got behind her at San Diego Zoo. And it was just heartbreaking because they have so many Fiji iguanas and they're just getting rid of the eggs because they can't do, like, they. Because of the restrictions, so their program is so successful. They're producing so many babies, they have to freeze and throw out so all many eggs. They've got all these cages behind the scenes of these beautiful, thriving Fijian iguanas that they're not allowed to sell or there's all the zoos that have them have enough that they can't distribute them. So they're, they're handcuffed to the point of they could produce so many more if they wanted to. And even what they do produce, they have to limit because they've only got so much space and so much room. It's just heartbreaking or these could easily they could easily and, and they could fund a lot of projects and stuff they're doing if they were allowed to sell them to private collectors, even if they were like handpicked specific private collectors, but they're not allowed to because of the all the restrictions and stuff. So it's that was so heartbreaking. It was awesome and heartbreaking at the same time. Like it was great to see, and they're just amazing animals, but that just killed us. We're like, oh, are you kidding me? Like there's people again, there's people who've gone to prison just to work with those things so and you know maybe yeah. if we had a captive bred population people wouldn't have any reason to smuggle them and therefore no one would go to prison exactly well i mean those people probably go to prison anyway for a different species well, yeah. but yes and know. no yeah for sure i mean there's obviously an element of that but it's yeah it was just to see that was again it was we're very conflicted you know you're like this is awesome and this also sucks so much at the same time and you guys, like, yeah, we literally freeze eggs. You guys got to work with one in the show as well, right? Yeah, Jason's got one or two of them. Um, yeah, I don't remember if that actually made. Was did it, it make, on the did show? Make the show? I don't well, it must have. If, if yeah. Um, yeah, Jason does a lot of reptile education, and uh, at the time he had one. I don't know if he's got one or two now. Um, there is some uh, one or two people in Canada breeding them. 
um, it, obviously in limited numbers. So they yeah. are somewhat available, but definitely not, uh, you don't see them often. Um, before that, I had seen like maybe two of them before that. So. Yeah, no, I hear you. And yeah, it was just cool to be able to go behind the scenes at the San Diego Zoo. Because I'd never been there before in my life. I've grown up always hearing about this world famous San Diego Zoo. So it's cool to go down there. And, then, and part of it was because the people we know was the biggest part. A little bit was the show. So it was like, yeah, these are the guys in the show. So we got to kind of go behind the scenes and see some stuff. So it was really cool. Yeah. Know, seeing their Venom collections. Oh. Like, and like, it's, it's kind of interesting because you think of the zoo as like, you know, you just assume that what they have is all on exhibit. But, I mean, they probably have twice the amount of animals that are in their back rooms that maybe aren't, you know, or either yeah. breeding or, or they don't have room to display them or whatever. But, like, the collection that they had that, you know, the general public doesn't get to see is insane. Yeah. On display and some get rotated through the on display and then to go back so you know kind of have some privacy and yeah not, you know, people looking well i mean and uh, to go to that point is kind of interesting too because there's a lot of haters about zoos but they're very cognizant about that you know yes they do lose animals here and there but i think they lose a lot more animals in the wild than what these guys are propagating in captivity and they are actually worried about their well-being and giving them enrichment and proper caging and everything else. Don't get into that profession. Like that's, you don't make a lot of money doing that. That's a passion. Like that's people that genuinely care about the animals. They get into that, and that's what people don't understand. Is they look at the big picture. It's just a corporation, whatever. But the people that work there and have spent their lifetimes, you know, being educated and learning about these animals, so that they can work with these animals. And it's not something that they make a lot of money with but it's because they want to do it and they love these animals so like more so even than than, than a lot of us do like they're, they're just so focused on that they've got the point of getting this you know the education spending the money the time the commitment all that stuff so that they can go do that that gets lost on a lot of people and they want to just blow it off you know oh zoos suck and you know but you know what like they do a lot of good conservation work and people Seeing that stuff, it's, if it's in your, if you're seeing it, you're going to be more, you're, you're going to want to spend some money to help the conservation if you can see those animals. If it's mm -hmm. just pictures, you see it, you don't care. If you can go there and see the animals, people are going to want to do more to help protect them. So it does help a lot. And I think that to take that further, we can get the animals actually in people's hands, which I think is the second, you know, that's yeah. even better to be honest i mean not saying that we do as good as zoos not even close right but no but i but think for what we do absolutely yeah i think what, what i'm most excited about in the reptile industry right now and i'm sure you guys see it obviously since you're doing enclosures and you guys built a bunch of these is like people are into now like small scale zoo quality enclosures like people aren't doing the sweater box with newspaper anymore people are really yeah. getting interested it's the European yeah. model, right? Like they always say, even with like they used to be in the cabinet industry, they said we were 10 years behind Europe in the cabinet industry. It's the same with keeping animals. 10, 20 years ago, there was a more of a focus on naturalistic steps and stuff. And people are coming back around to that now here in North America. 
becoming more interested in that. You get into it, you learn about it, and then where do you go from there? Well, the only direction you can go is to try and recreate the natural habitats. And you want it as a showpiece in your home. Instead of keeping it in your basement, hidden away, you want it as a centerpiece. It's a furniture piece. You want it to look like a slice of the jungle or the desert or, or whatever, African savanna. So you want to build that slice of nature in your house and for the animals, you know, for to mimic their natural habitat. And that's sort of the next level of keeping animals, really. I think for me, uh, I think that's what gravitated me to the frogs mostly because you don't keep them in racks and you don't keep them on paper towel. Like if you want them to thrive, you're setting them up in bioactive, like naturalistic habitat. So for me, it was, it was almost like a, uh, not a nice balance, but like I loved aquariums, but to me they were boring. I liked seeing them, but uh, can't play with fish. you can't, well, yeah. I mean, I, I just felt like there was more activities with the frogs and, and then having, you know, having to worry about how to keep this plant alive in addition to making sure my frogs were, were well fed became a challenge. And it wasn't just turning the, you know, having your lights on a timer and making sure you fed your fish like once a day or whatever. So I, 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 I do see that the aquarium hobby, you know, is cool for some people, but to me it was like a little bit lacking and, and the, frogs and and all the other reptiles became uh, way more interesting to me yeah i mean i'm so much fish growing up and stuff like that and uh i've been i i've been flirting with the fact of having a fish tank again right i i think i'll get to it eventually uh, <laughs> i think i kind of uh yeah i like i like being able to visually watch the the animals and that goes mm -hmm. for the fish but it also now goes for the animals that i've set up in bioactive enclosures the ones that I have in my like actual PVC cages and stuff like that. Um, I see that they're just a lot more visually stimulated when I come in the room, they're kind of checking me out and they've taken on a different personality than they had when they were in a tub. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's enough for me to want to keep on doing this and pursuing uh, naturalistic vivariums and kind of uh, trying to take you to the next level. There's different levels of that, and people get kind of they want to min max everything. It's either you got to be tubs of newspaper and paper towel, or you know, bioactive giant greenhouses. Well, it doesn't have to be one or the other, like, there's graduating scale, and there's there's different things you can do. I hate the word enrich, but to enrich stuff and to, to have different degrees of that where it's naturally looks natural to you, but maybe isn't you know quite to that level, but you can, you can still do that on smaller scales. You don't have to necessarily go all the way, but ever, you know, I find myself graduating back more to that. Again, I went that way before kind of came, I keep kind of going back and forth, but that's, that's fun for me, right? I want my animals to have great lives and I want to enjoy them and I want them to have their best life. And then, but also with a level of me being able to enjoy it too, that's secondary to me, to the animals, as I'm sure with pretty much everybody, but you still like you just it's something you'd want to be able to sit back and look. It's like when you when you have fish, right? It's so soothing to sit and watch the fish. It's the same thing with the animals when they're interacting and have their natural behaviors. There's something really cool about that. Yeah, and it's uh, I, and I think there's also something to like a bioactive tub or something. You know, you can do yeah. a tub bioactive. Mm -hmm. You can do a cage with newspaper. 
Which one's better? I don't know. Um, but for me, my, my corn snakes like to burrow, so I love to have substrate. Yeah. To have newspaper would be like, I feel like I would be robbing them of something. But there's also species that couldn't give two shits about the substrate. They're yeah. not going to go burrow anywhere. You know, they're going to stay on top of it the whole time anyhow. So and that's I, the really key. There's, there's no one one you know end result. Like there's there's so many different ways and there's so many different species and. There's so much different stuff you can do with it all. And that's why we keep on doing this because there's yep. always more stuff to do and learn and tweak and try to get better at. I think uh, I actually think it's kind of interesting, though, uh, you know, considering myself an old hobbyist, which is kind of funny now. But because um, you're but like if you consider the way of, of like these guys who are new to the industry coming in, I mean, they're asking questions, but apparently they already know the answer, which is funny. But I feel like I feel like you're never going to know the right answer. You're just evolve. You should just be evolving to the needs of the animals and learning as you go. Um, and I mean, Chris touched on it earlier, but there's no one right way to keep anything. You open that can of worms again. Joe's mom, <laughs> Joe's mom is here. Oh, oh. <laughs> Yes, hi, mom. <laughs> my brother is on the couch to my left. Don't worry, he's still alive. Barely made it last night, but he did sleep with the shoes on. Uh, but he was spared. So yes. Well, and I'm gonna have to get going soon. Yeah, we're, we're gonna probably wrap this up. But have you got any final words or anything you'd like to to say? Pump, give us a, a heads up in your podcast, whatever your. Uh, your social media stuff like that's here's your chance yeah. man yeah if you guys want to go check me out it's port city pet on instagram that's really where i do uh most of my pictures you can really check out my whole collection there as well as you can follow me on youtube youtube port city pet and uh, as well as port city pythons podcast uh from the ground up podcast where all podcasts are found um you can see where you can listen to an awesome podcast with uh these guys right here uh, with Greg and Chris uh, a little bit back, and we'll have to do another one eventually. I know. Porcitypet.com. You can uh, check out Isopods, bioactive substrates, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, it's the oh. it's the heat of the hatching season, so guys, uh, give it give it a follow. And uh, there's going to be a lot of things coming up very soon. Absolutely, we'll have you on when you got a lot of babies and stuff yeah. too. After. And I love how his mom shows up. We're all like, oh, we got to go. <laughs> Time to go put the apple juice yeah. away. We got to behave now. Joe's mom's here. Nah, don't worry about her. She'll be all right. She's heard it all. Uh, thanks for joining us. And yeah. I definitely uh, will try and do this again. Um, we have fun chatting with you. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again for being you. Uh, you broke our podcast, Cherry. You were our first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean was that, something that, that, you, that you were open to i mean to begin with i mean was it something where did you listen to podcasts or anything like that yeah i had the other podcasts i listened to but I, it's funny i didn't listen to a lot of reptile podcasts at the time so yeah when you reached out we're like okay this seems cool and we checked into it a bit we're like not that it would have mattered either way but we're like awesome let's do it like yeah. we're pretty easy going like we'll talk to anybody but no, it was so much fun. Like we had a blast. Well, it's funny because it was like it was like a couple of hours that we talked, and then even afterwards, I remember we talked for 
quite a while after with yeah. a bunch of stuff. So that was so much fun. Uh, like he seemed like such a great guy. So we're, yeah, we were pretty happy with that. That was, that was a lot of fun. I appreciate it, man. Uh, and I'm glad that now that kind of opened you up. I see you guys do lives all the time and stuff like this, which is super awesome. I can't remember. Did we do, we that? just keep it informal yeah. though. Like we, as far as podcasts go, I don't think we're at that level. We just try and do our lives and, you know, it's, it's sort of more of a, we, we, we picture it as if we were just hanging at a pub, having some drinks, talking with people yeah. we like. Funny thing is with all COVID, I mean, I feel like that's what we're missing the most is just the camaraderie. And uh, I think with these lives, at least with ours, um, it's funny you ask, like, what's, what, what are we going to talk about? We're like, we don't know. What do we want to talk about? And it's kind of in the sense that, you know, we like hanging out, shooting the shit and having a beer with a friend. And uh, I think that the way our lives go is more in the sense that it's just guys hanging out, talking about yeah. talking shop, basically. And, uh, you know, people get a glimpse in that and can ask questions here and there. But uh, I mean, the biggest thing is just promoting the hobby and trying yeah. to get that exposure out there as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you guys are doing whether it was, you know, the show and what you guys are doing now. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys doing it as yeah. well. What you see is what you get with us. And we yeah. try and keep it kind of positive. We don't want to, you know, harp on the negative. There's enough negative stuff going on out there. So we try and really focus on, have some fun. We'll bust each other's balls a bit, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, we all love this hobby. We're all passionate about it. We want to kind of put that forward and that's the light we want to shine on the hobby is everybody's a, you know, there's a lot of regular guys. It's not the weird, creepy fringe that, that the general public sees the hobby as. There's that Those too. And we're part of that too. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, there's a, it's all encompassing and this hobby is, is a lot bigger than people think. So we just want to shine some light on that and have some fun, have a few laughs. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for everybody uh, hanging in there through uh, an hour and a half. And uh, we'll try and get another one of these going in the next week or so. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys.